get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Right, we are finally back. Hockey is back. Ducks hockey is back. And what a night to open up with. A 4-1 victory against the Winnipeg Jets. And big highlight of the night is Mason McTavish gets his first NHL goal. But before we get into it and break down the game, I am here, as always, with Steven. How's it going? Uh... I don't know, man. I don't... <laughs> Didn't I expect this assume, tonight, eh? I, I, dude, I did not at all. Like, I can only assume what happened tonight is the final game of preseason, and uh, nobody told us. Um, that was a blast. They, like, that was a blast. That was fun. That was a hell of a first game back. Um, you know, especially for what we expect tonight, notwithstanding, uh, to be a long season. It's nice to have something kind of like, like that, like right off the jump. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, I joked before the game that, you know, Cole Perfetti was making his NHL debut for the Jets, so that <laughs> guarantees he's going to score because everybody scores in their debut against the Ducks. But it was nice to see it, and I think we talked about this on, I don't know if it was the mailbag episode we did or the season preview, but if McTavish plays on opening night, the chances of him having a good game or scoring or same with Gru were just seemed high because every time the Ducks open to season with a new player on the roster or a young player, they seem to just score in their debut. And I think we referenced come to why, but man, McTavish doing what he does best early on, didn't look out of place. The goal he scored is in the area where you expect him probably to score most of his goals right in front of the net, picking up a rebound, picks up a secondary assist on the power play goal uh, for, was it uh, Adam Henrique who tipped in Fowler's shot just a very solid debut from Mason McTavish, and one I guess that he didn't expect to even play in today because Max Jones was supposed to play and then was out due to a non-COVID-related illness. So what a way to to come into the game. I think there was an interview that Ali Lozoff did with uh, McTavish during the first intermission and asked him where was he when... Uh, when he heard the news that he was playing today, he said he was in the bathroom when he heard from Dallas Aikens <laughs> that he was going to play. So going from not knowing you're playing in the bathroom before the game to basically being outside of Gibson, the Ducks' best player tonight. Yeah, I mean, between this and, uh, what was it, two years ago, or three years ago now, I guess, oh my god, uh, the St. Louis defenseman talking to coach in the bathroom saying, put me in, like, <laughs> and he scored a goal that night, like, I just, I think I might have to start hanging out in bathrooms if I want to get a good job or something, man. Yeah, seriously. I, it was, it was great, man, it was, uh, it was nice to see from McTavish, you know what I mean, like, I, we talked about this where, it was going to be about seeing if he's able to use his body and his physicality to kind of help him play well and like fit in at the NHL level. And he seemed to do it tonight. I mean, there was a hit early in the game that he made that it was one of those typical uh, pull up, finish your checks, just, you know, 60, 70% hits uh, when you're forechecking and you heard it. And it was just, there haven't been a lot of guys 
with the goal-scoring upside or the offensive upside that McTavish has that also hit like that coming through Anaheim in a while. So, you know, it's it's nice to see that he seemed to be comfortable being aggressive. Um, he broke the Nick Ritchie curse pretty early on, the number 37, and <laughs> he ends up, the, I, the way he played he today, looked, he shattered that, uh, that curse pretty quick, which was nice. He looked great, man. Like, he really, he just, you know, he, he just kind of played frenetically. Like, I'm just going to jump way ahead of everything right now and just say, like, you know, if we get Shane Wright, the idea of putting uh, that version of McTavish on Zegers' wing, man, that rocks. Yeah. That sounds like so much fun because those two, I think, would just play off each other phenomenally well. Yeah, and, and like, for McTavish, too, like, he's not Zegers where you're expecting every time he has the puck on his stick that something magical is going to happen. But he just made good, smart plays. And from what we've read on McTavish and from what we've heard, that's kind of what you expect. I mean, he, physically, he's ready. He played against pros in the second division in the Swiss League last year. And we know, and he's talked about how much that's kind of prepared him to be an impact player, try to be an impact player for the Ducks this year. So you, you kind of expect him to come in and be comfortable and, and look like he belongs, and he did that, and he did all the little things right, and, and that, you know, at the end of the night, rewarded him with a goal and an assist, and he made some really good plays on both ends of the ice. He got some time, obviously, on the power play on the Ducks' second unit, where he picked up the secondary assist, and he got some time on the penalty kill, too, which was a bit surprising. Uh, you know, we knew Benoit Olivier Grew was going to be on the penalty kill. That's where he's made his bread and butter throughout his junior career and, and even in the AHL last year with San Diego so that was expected but McTavish just kind of getting used in, in all areas which for a guy like we said before heading into this game didn't expect to even play today it was nice to see him get sprinkled in in a bunch of different situations and really show what he can do here's the thing I'll say about McTavish that I think is important is um he made his debut tonight and or sorry Bo Gruel made his uh, he was in the lineup tonight. He looked great. And it still took us 10 minutes to get to him because McTavish looked so good tonight. And it it, mm -hmm. it, it it wasn't an overwhelming good, like you said. He just did a lot of simple things. But he, like you said, he didn't look out of place. He used his body to an advantage. And he kept his game really simple. And it, it, it helped. It was effective. Um, you know, it was funny. I was watching it and thinking about coaching and just how that affects it and I, I wonder sometimes to what degree coaching at the lower levels is the most important. And I'm sure that this is something that everybody knows, and I'm just an idiot. But, like, when you think about learning the basics and players having success and, like, Comtois being a straight-line player and uh, McTavish being a straight-line player tonight, like, there's more to their games than that. They're more skilled than that. But in the moments where they're stepping into a you know stepping into the nhl for the first time and they're still trying to establish themselves as an everyday player having those kind of basics and fundamentals like style of play things drilled into you um I, I think it shows i think it shows you know he was disciplined he was aggressive um I, you know bull gruel looked wonderful tonight uh he was all over the place it was great i tough assignment for a, him like, too right like playing on the fourth line with Delorier and Grant is not an ideal spot to make your debut, but f for what he was given 
tonight, I think he did well. There were some mistakes early on, and a lot of guys looked shaky throughout the entire game. Like the Ducks didn't play great tonight, but they came out with a four. No, they got their ass. Yeah, they came out with a four-one win, so you can't complain. But as the game went on, I felt like Gru came into his own. Uh, you know, the first penalty kill was a little bit shaky. He didn't really, you know, step up on the opposition. He kind of shied away from contact, and that's to be expected. I mean, you're playing against a very good Jets team, you know, their top power play unit. Your first couple shifts in the NHL, it, it's going to be tough. But I think as it went on, he made some really smart plays. He intercepted the puck. He played very well shorthanded, which is to be expected from him. And then I, I think he contributed at 5-on-5 five five every now and then. But again, it, it's a tough assignment for him to be out there on the fourth line. He's not going to be able to – he's not a player who generates offense that much on his own to begin with. And then to say, okay, now you're going to – you're gonna you know play off these guys. You're gonna play off Deloria. You're gonna play off Derek Grant. That that's tough, right? Like that is that's tough for him to get things going offensively. But all things considered, I, I agree with you. I think he had a, a good game. It's overshadowed by McTavish having two points and Lindstrom having such a great game and Silverberg having two points as well and Drysdale getting on the board. But I think for what you expect from a player like Gru. I, I think he could be a guy that can contribute for 40 or 50 games this year and be a really good, responsible two-way player for the Ducks. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's like you said, like he's not going to be driving, you know, offense at the NHL level. He's got the talent and the, you know, kind of smarts, I guess, to like be able to be an effective offensive player. And there will be, you know, if he develops and all that kind of stuff, all the caveat crap. Like, you know, he has offensive upside and to be an, an, an effective player in offense, but he is going to be a player that makes his bones play in 200 feet and doing things on the penalty and uh, on the penalty kill and things like that. And just playing really smart. And like, you know, like you said, he kind of was out there on his own with D'Lo and Grant. Like, that's not great. He's going to be playing with better players than that, um, either contextually when he's down in the AHL or actually when he moves up into a top kind of nine role like we kind of expect. Like, he does look like a guy who can be a really good third-line center. Um, so it was it was good to see from him, I think. Kind of just everything that was going on with the team tonight was nice. Like, I, like what he said, they got their asses kicked. But I think the thing that, that makes the difference is the power play, right? Like, those two power play goals completely change the dynamic of the game. Like, if it's just a 2-1 game... Winnipeg isn't pressing at certain times. They're not pulling the goalie three minutes out, like, or five, you know, three, yeah, like three minutes out. Like, it, there's just things that are a little bit different. And that is the benefit of a bad slash young team like Anaheim having a power play that can be effective, is it can act as a way to take some of that pressure off the team at five on five when you know you can produce with the extra man. And, you know, I think we talked about it last year that this this was what it was going to look like if this team was going to win a lot of games yeah. or win any games was they were going to get their asses kicked at 5-on-5, five five. Gibby was going to play well enough to keep them in it, and they were going to need the power play. It helps you they win literally games. literally got all of that tonight. Yeah, it helps you win games you shouldn't, right? And, yeah, and, and, It's an equalizer. Yeah, and, you know, in, in the sense here, obviously John Gibson <laughs> played really well, and a lot of people in the chat are, are mentioning that, like this you can't sustain this throughout the entire season. We've seen this before where John Gibson will have a great start to the season, but the Ducks will 
play game and game and game after game like this and it'll be you know eventually you'll overwork him so you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself but there are things encouraging signs that things could change here like the fact that the ducks were able to responsibly hold on to a lead in this game and, and effectively close out a game which are things that we haven't really seen from them in the last couple of years that they've been able to do and then like you said the power play contributing on this game if that can be you know, something that's consistent this year where it's at least you know around the 15 to 20 rank instead of dead last in the league that will help them win some of these games that they would have lost last year you know take some pressure off john gibson you know one thing that flies under the radar tonight again is the penalty kill was 100 percent you know they were giving the jets a lot of opportunities to get back in the game but the penalty kill kept the ducks in it and again that's a lot on John Gibson and some of the saves that he was making as well. But you have to give credit to to some of the units that were out there. I think they did play very well, and they, they limited the opportunities, or at least the grade-A chances that the Jets were able to get. So it was a good start, all things considered. The Jets are going to be a top team in the Western Conference. This was always going to be a tough game to go into, even without Mark Shifley in the lineup for the Jets. But I, I think this is how the Ducks are going to win games this year. And... You know, without Zegers really having an impact on the game, they were still were able to find four goals and come out with a, a pretty solid victory in opening night. So you can't really complain about too much that went on because we know they are going to get outchanced in a lot of games this year. And the analytics aren't going to be pretty. And there's going to be games where they don't, you know, technically deserve to win, but they come out with the victory. And that's what you want to see. You want to see some fight. You want to see some effort. You see guys sticking up for the young players. You know, Shattenkirk comes in and, and takes on DeMello for, for kneeing. Uh, Mason McTavish, you see the guys swarm Andrew Kopp a couple times for his rush on John Gibson. It's early. It's one game, but there there's a different feel about this team. We'll see if that continues, but I hope so. It, it, it's, it's encouraging signs early on. Well, here's the thing, right? I I would be reticent to say that they did a good job closing this game out. I think, again, like, they had a little extra, like, they got two penalties, or they got two power play goals that gave them a lot of, a lot of extra juice. And then Gibby was really good tonight because, as everybody's mentioning in the chat, it's not, you know, the end of December where he's had to do this 40 times. So... You know, I, I, I think you're right. Like, the underlying, like, we talked about it, right? The underlying numbers are going to be bad. They're going to get beat in a lot of ways over the course of this season. And what you're going to need needing to look for is going to be signs of improvement in little things here and there. The power play is a good example of that. Just the, the look of so much of these younger players, because as younger players, they're still going to be getting their footing. They're going to look out of place. And as the season progresses and they start to get more and more comfortable getting more and more ice time you're going to see them make progress moving forward you're going to see them develop into better players but this is exactly what has to happen for them to win a game against a team whose defense isn't great and was missing their number one center like yeah they still have kyle connor and blake wheeler and pierre luc dubois but like that defense we talked about it isn't good isn't great it's competent and Connor Hellebuck's an incredible goaltender. They beat him four times tonight. That's not going to happen. So, you know, I'm. this was a great first game, and I think it very perfectly gave you everything that you're going to get this season. 
Um, you know, but yeah, like McTavish got two points, Lundstrom got two points, we got two power play goals. Like, who gives a shit right now? Yeah. Like, that's tomorrow's problem. Is tomorrow's problem. Exactly. I mean, we have to take the wins where they're going to come this year, and this was a positive start to the season, despite anything that comes after this. It's a great way to start the year, right? And, and you know, for McTavish not to know he was going to play, and for us being disappointed finding that out, I think earlier today that the chances are that he wasn't going to play, and then last minute for him to check in and have such a good game, and other guys step up and play well, and John Gibson to start the year strong. There's a lot of positives to draw from this, and there's still better days to come because this wasn't Trevor Zegers' best game by any means. He didn't have a lot of opportunity to get on the ice with the amount of uh, you know, uh, times the Ducks were on the penalty kill in this game. I think he only played about 13 minutes and 22 seconds, which was a few seconds more than Derek Grant played on the night. So it was tough for him to get out there on a consistent basis. And I felt like the Ducks babied him a little bit again, like we saw last year. It's one game, so I don't want to overreact and jump on that that bandwagon just yet and say that you know there's they still have the kid gloves on him and they're they're still trying to take him out of certain opportunities or, or not play him in the defense defensive zone or late in games, especially games that they have you know a, a two or three goal lead. We'll have to wait and see, but the the encouraging signs are is like when he does have the puck on his stick, he does make things happen. And he showed that in this game. There were a few flashes of brilliance from him, which you can't expect. And you know going forward that that is going to translate to points. And he's going to get on the board. And if the Ducks were able to scrape out a 4-1 win in this game from some individual brilliance from a few guys on the team, just wait until Trevor Zegris gets going and Maxime Comtois gets going and Troy Terry gets going and the guys that we're actually expecting to be on the board on a nightly basis get going that will be encouraging signs because I, I don't think, you know, Isaac Lundestrom is going to get two points a night for the rest of the year, right? And Jack of Silverberg's not going to be a consistent... point MVP Isaac Lundestrom. But, you know, the, it's you need those guys to chip in for secondary scoring. We've talked about that a lot. The Ducks are going to get mm-hmm. need to get offense Absolutely. from a lot of guys. So it's nice to see them get going because we know at some point Zegers, Terry, Comtois, they're going to put up points. So for all these other guys to get off to good starts, it could align perfectly where, you know, they've got Minnesota on Friday, which is going to be another tough matchup. Zegers is going to break out at some point. So it'll be interesting to see when that happens. The one thing I do want to get to uh, before we kind of dive in a bit more on on Zegers is Max Jones, obviously, uh, out with a non-COVID-related illness today. Uh, where does he draw back in on Friday? I know we had a, a question. I think it was from Barnburner in our chat here on whether Jones draws back in. Let's just say he's healthy, he's feeling better, he's ready to go on Friday. Like The obvious answer before the game would have been, okay, McTavish comes out and Jones goes back in. But I don't think there's any way you can take McTavish out for Friday at this point after the performance he had in this game. So you look at the roster, like he would have to come in for one of the guys on the fourth line, you would think. I mean, no. Um, <laughs> like, in a in a perfect world, yeah, like, D'Lo or Grant comes out and he drops in and, you know, you shuffle some stuff around and kind of see where you're at. But, like, in reality, like, maybe it's gruel, but it'll likely, at this point, the thing that seems the likeliest to me is that he doesn't draw back in 
maybe. Like, at at that point, right, I think that is. And if he does, what ends up probably happening is Gru comes out, Grant moves back to center, and D'Lo and Jones are the wingers for uh, Grant, you know. But, like, you're right. McTavish and Gru both looked good enough tonight that they deserve to be in the next lineup. Whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. Um, but it it would be it would be really hard for this organization to come out of a gate preaching about accountability and merit and earning things and take out two of the four best players on the team tonight. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like they just looked really good. So I uh, I think the likeliest answer is Jones doesn't draw back in. If he does, maybe it's D'Lo. Uh, That's what but, I was thinking, um, because we talked about this, I think, on the mailbag episode on what Delorier's usage could look like this year, where he comes in for the games against bigger physical teams like the Jets, where it makes sense to have a player like him in the lineup. I, you know, I don't know if Minnesota necessarily qualifies as that team. I, I don't think they do. I would classify no. them as a bit of a smaller skill team now, the way they are. Um, but, I mean, that's up to the Ducks coaching staff at this point. But I, I think if Max Jones is healthy, he should be in the lineup. If he's feeling better, if he's 100%. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I would rather it be DeLorie or Grant that comes out. Um, I would like to see Sam Steele back in. I would have no problem seeing a thir- a fourth line of Grew, Steele, Jones instead of Deloria and Grant playing at this point. Like if you're going to yeah, commit to a rebuild, why not play all the players that you want to see get better and, and produce? Like you know, no player is going to be happy about being introduced uh, as a non-roster player. You could clearly see uh, Sam Steele getting uh, the intro tonight and not being super happy that he's not playing and I'm sure he isn't yeah, he's any he, should yeah, he shouldn't be he he wants to be in the lineup and at some point he's going to get his chance and you got to take it when you get it but the performance from Isaac Lindstrom tonight doesn't bode well for Sam Steele uh, his future as a top nine center on this team because Zegers isn't going anywhere and Getzloff isn't going anywhere so his real competition was Isaac Lindstrom and I think outside of John Gibson, there's a real shout for Isaac Lindstrom being the second best player tonight. You know, it's him or Mason McTavish for me. And I thought Isaac Lindstrom did a lot of things well. We already know about his two-way game and, and how he can impact the game defensively. But offensively, he had a lot of things going for him. Picked up the primary assist on McTavish school, the secondary assist on the first school. Just looked more engaged. And I really liked the look of McTavish, Lindstrom, Silverberg, because they're all, they're all three of them are kind of sneaky, good offensive players, but they are so defensively responsible that you can put them out in any situation. And I think Lindstrom kind of thrives with line mates like that. And this is a big year for him and for Sam Steele, with both of them opting for those one-year contracts when they accepted their qualifying offers. They're both playing basically for that third-line center spot and competing maybe with Benoit Olivier group, but mostly with themselves. And like I said, when you get given those opportunities like Lindstrom got tonight, you have to take advantage of it, and he did. And that doesn't bode too well for Sam Steele. Um, so whenever he checks back in, if it's Friday or some later on point early on in the season here, 
he's going to have to have a game like this if he hopes to stick around. So, yeah, so... So, first off, yes, you're 100% right that at this point he's competing directly with Lundestrom for that kind of third-line spot. Um, you know, you could kind of call it like a, a, a second-and-a-half line depending on how you look at the Getze line and things like that. Um, and he looked really good, and he made a lot... He, he made a good case for himself for him to be the favorite moving forward, right? And that's going to change on a game-by-game basis and as we get more information as the season goes on. The question that I have with Steele is if you need to bring in an outside forward, right, and you're looking at it and you're going, all right, we want to get a little bit more speed, maybe a little bit more skill and a little bit more goal scoring. You call up Milano, you put Milano on a wing, and you feel like you've addressed that. A little bit more size, a little bit more forechecking. You can put in someone like Volkov. What are you telling yourself your roster Sam Steele like what are you asking of him when you call him up I guess is my question because at this point I'm not sure he does anything well enough or consistently enough for me to know what I'm getting out of him when he comes up he Lundestrom seems to be two-way center with some offensive upside um you know we know what Milano is Volkov seems to either not be engaged all the time you know what i mean things like that but like i I guess that's my question to you is what do you think Steele is at this point as far as inserting him into the lineup what is he bringing yeah and 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 i i it's hard to say honestly in in terms of what does he bring that the ducks don't already have in their lineup i don't necessarily think he brings anything different Uh, at this point he hasn't shown that and that's why I think when he ever does get the opportunity, whether it's at center or at wing, like somebody just mentioned in the chat here, he's got to come out and show why he deserves to be in this lineup because there are other guys in front of him that are now doing that. You know, even Benoit Levigou, not on the score sheet, but he showed what he can do when he's in the lineup and be you know, a mainstay on the penalty kill and be a good defensive forward and could really be that player who... I don't think he should be on the fourth line, but he can contribute on the fourth line, if you know what I mean by that. Like, I, I think yeah. he fits there for now. Sam Steele, I, I don't know if he does. I I don't know if there's much he can provide, and, and that's up to him to show it at this point. I I don't know. I hope he gets a chance, and when he takes that chance, he, he can actually show that he belongs here because I still believe in him. But, I you know, I jokingly put out a, a tweet tonight that, you know, the Rangers are shopping Vitaly Kraftsov, who's a former ninth overall pick from them, and they're looking for, you know, potentially a, a similar type prospect in return. And we know how much Bob Murray loves his hockey deals. You know, why not do <laughs> yeah. Sam Steele for Vitaly Kraftsov? Because in that sense, I think Kraftsov does bring something to the Ducks lineup that they don't have in a big kind of six foot, I think he's six four, over 200 pound, kind of grinding power forward who has some skill. I, I don't necessarily think they have that on the right side, right? Like they've got mm-hmm. Terry and Raquel and Silverberg on the right side. I think bringing in a player like Kraftsov, you bring something different in. Not saying that the Rangers would be open to that or this is a trade that could happen. Well, I got you. But you get something different and you get two players that could use a change of scenery 
that I think Steele going to the Rangers, he gets an opportunity potentially to play center, to add something to that lineup that maybe they don't have, and then Kravtsov comes over here and potentially gets that here, and apparently he's open to playing in the AHL as long as it's not with the Rangers. So coming down and maybe playing with San Diego and getting some minutes down there with some of those guys and then getting a chance later on in the season. I, I mean, it's a trade I think makes sense for both teams. I would like to see something from Sam Steele before something like that would happen, before we just give up on him completely. I think this is a make-or-break year for him, so a few, you know, five to ten games for me just to see what he can do and see how driven he is this year would something uh, would be something I'd want to see before that. But, you know, at some point we're going to get to that decision-making point this year where we've seen enough of Sam Steele where we have to say, okay, is this a guy worth keeping around or is he really not providing much at this point? Because you can't send him to San Diego. Like, I think he would get claimed on waivers even if he's not playing well. There will be a team that would take a chance on him. So you, you're going to, as the Ducks, you're going to get to that point where you can't, you can't healthy scratch him every game because that's not doing anything for anybody. And you can't send him down. So what are you going to do at that point? Yeah, I mean, there's two ways at this point, right? If you just kind of take what happened tonight, that Steele should somebody slips, right? And maybe you go, all right, let's give him a game on the outside, let him take catch their breath, whatever, right? Likely Groot, likely McTavish, um, something like that. The other one is he gets he just is a healthy scratch for seven eight games, and they just let him simmer and simmer and simmer, and then they go, all right. Let's see if you really want it, go get it, you know, and they throw them in there and they give somebody a night off or something like that. Maybe it's a back to back or, you know, that kind of situation. And either way, when he gets in, he has to make something pop like he has to do something because, you know, there are just times where he just looks like a passenger. And, you know, I, I always try to preach patience with young guys because I just think that first you know 200 games or so is just so much learning but given how significant of roles he's played at the junior level at the ahl level uh you know given the opportunities that he's been given at the nhl to be effective to be consistently a center um you know there it, it's getting to the point now where like you said like you have to start asking some questions about where it is and where he's at and so yeah like uh, you know, I want all the Ducks draft picks to become heart go heart transits, right? Like that's just what you want. So like, I would love to see him get back in the lineup and show that kind of smart, heady two way game with a little extra playmaking that, you know, you kind of hoped you were going to get out of him. Like, I think that's, that's great. And like, you know, somebody said it in there. I'll say it a thousand times more before we get rid of him. Put him on the wing. There's no reason not to put him on the wing. It makes too much sense moving smart centers and i do think he's smart i do think he he has uh, he does a good job of reading the game i just don't know why it doesn't seem to click um i a hundred percent think putting him as a third line winger just makes so much sense play him with grew on the wing and honestly play those two as a penalty kill and just watch him go crazy yeah uh, you know i there's this this is what the season is for, right? Ed? Like it's going to be about asking questions and trying to get answers. One of the questions for the Ducks right now is, what the fuck is Sam Steele? And 
at the end of the day, only Sam Steele can answer that. But until he does, there's other guys who are going to deserve shots. You know, what happens if Perot goes on a 10-game hot streak in the AHL and the Ducks are in the middle of, you know, one of those awful Januaries where they're on the road for half of it and they're, you know, losing four or five games in a row or seven and nine or something like that. And they go, screw it. Let's bring this kid up. Like, well, we got to wave somebody. All right, bye, Steel. Like, it just is what it is. Yeah, he's coming to a point where not only at center position but on the wing, there's a lot of players either in front of him that are performing or just behind him that could start pushing into spots in front of him. And that's not a good space for him to be in if he's not getting ice time. And if the ice time he does eventually get, he's not performing, right? And and mm-hmm. that that remains to be seen. We're one game in here. Uh, maybe he comes in on Friday. Who knows? Like, do do you think do you think he checks in on Friday against the Wild, or do you think it's a, a while before we see him? I think it'll be a couple. I, I would assume it'll be a couple games. If he was going to get back in, I think. The Wild makes a lot of sense. I think, like you said, like other than Jordan Greenway, uh, I, you know, I don't know that they really have anybody who kind Greenway of Greenway and like Felino, that. and that's and right. Well, it, yeah. yeah, and Ryan Hartman. Like Ryan Hartman's yeah. a feisty guy, but none of those guys are guys you need to like have a D-lo around for. Yeah, especially like, if Jones is back too, right? Like you can that, get right. that from him. Right, and that's him. the thing. One, one steal is second in line, especially with the three-year deal that this team gave Jones. Like, they definitely believe in him. They definitely think he's going to be a member of this team moving forward. We saw Dallas Aikens preaching, you know, about just his ability to invigorate the lineup, to just create energy, create momentum or emotion in his teammates. Like, they were really excited about Jones coming into the season based on what he did in the preview, uh, the preseason. And so I think, you know, Steele's second in line. And, like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me to roll out a fourth line of Jones, Grew, Steele against a, a quicker skilled team uh, like Minnesota. So I, I think that would make a lot of sense. I think they have every reason to do it. I think it's early enough in the season that you can say nobody has earned a spot. Everybody's still, you know, we're trying to figure out what our best 20 guys is every night. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's the Ducks, and I wouldn't be surprised if, despite McTavish's performance, if Jones is healthy, that McTavish doesn't play Friday and Jones just slots in at his spot, and then potentially Steele just comes in for Gru and centers Deloria and Grant on the fourth line. It's a scenario I could see being possible just for the way we've seen the Ducks handle their younger players mm-hmm. and, and their roster in the past. Ultimately, like what I would like to see is is obviously McTavish stay in, uh, Jones come in for one of Grant or Delorier, and then Steele comes in for Benoit Lerae Group. That's what I think I would like to see the most. I I want Bogru to play, and like, ultimately I would love to see a Jones uh, Grew Steele lineup, but I I just don't think that's the way they're gonna go. Yeah, probably not because they hate us and they want us to be miserable. Um, but yeah, dude, that would be a lot of fun. That would, that's one of the things, right? Is like, we really kind of need this organization philosophically to change the way that it looks at the best 20 guys every night, because I've said it a thousand times, the way the organization looks at the fourth line, you can't hold those guys accountable for holding the younger guys back. 
It's 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 almost just three lot three spots in the roster you just have to cross out. You know, Gru getting into that I think speaks more highly of Gru than it does anything else. That they trust him in that fourth line role. That they think physically he can take it. That they think uh, his penalty killing uh, upside gives him a reason to be in that fourth line role, right? To be in the game every night. And uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, you know, and so it, it would be nice to see the organization start to change that bottom six into a more smart and skilled bottom six instead of a older physical bottom six. You know, I, I get all of the perks of having heavy players at the bottom of the roster. Like I'm never a guy who's anti Ryan Reeves or any of that kind of stuff, but it would really be nice, especially in a year where there are so many questions and only so much time to get answers if they could put 12 guys on the ice every night that have upside and 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 stop committing so much time to those bottoms the bottom line guys but they they just don't seem to be willing to do that and that is an organizational thing i think to a significant degree akins agrees with that approach but i do think that is a bob murray thing and until Bob Murray gets, you know, a head trauma or he leaves, he's not going to change his mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I don't I don't see that line coming together, a Gru Steele-Jones line on the fourth line, as much as I'd love to. Um, you know, we, we heard in the offseason about the interest in Deloria and teams apparently offering a first-round pick. That never developed. I don't know how true that was. I a hundred percent think Bob Murray leaked that to defend. Yeah. Cause that came out just before the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. I am a hundred percent starting to think that he just leaked that to Elliot to be able to rationalize putting D'Lo on the protection. Yeah. The, the longer it goes on and he doesn't it's get moved, like it, it becomes more and more yeah. clear yeah. that, that, uh, that was something leaked from his end. Likely. Um, before we move on to the, Dude, that was D'Lo's camp. Oh, I it could it. be. Oh no, it's 100% worth the first. 100%. Be. Uh, I mean, like, like you look at the prices, like guys like uh, Barkley, Goodrow, and other guys were going for. Like, it didn't feel like it was out of the realm of possibility, but yes, it did, Eddie. Shut up. You know, <laughs> you heard that. You were like, "Who? What idiot?" You were like, "The first thing you did is Google what team Peter Chiarelli worked for." That's what you did. Yeah, or the or if the Rangers needed I, another uh, another fighting guy another ryan reeves type player <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like i 100 percent agree that what we've seen with reeves perceived value around the league guys like coleman guys like Gaudreau, hell brad richardson still somehow manages to get jobs in this league i i agree that it's easy to say delo's value moves up in the eyes around the league mm-hmm. um but i think a first always felt a little pie in the sky um you know, I mean, any player is worth whatever you can get them for, and I don't think any of us have a high enough opinion of collective GMs collectively to say someone wouldn't do that. Yeah. But the Ducks got him for a fourth, and they were panned for paying too much. So even if his value goes up, like that's a third, right? Yeah, like I'd be if happy a with a third. Overpay, and he gets better. You're looking at a middle third 
round pick most likely the, the good thing with delory so, is like no matter like his play will never affect his value in the sense that like you know why teams would pay a third or second or whatever round pick to get him because they want a player like that an enforcer an old school fighter like that's why they would bring him in so it's not like if he plays bad that price is going to go down no because he's not going to put up <laughs> points like the, the, his value can really only go up from whatever the perceived value around the league is so it's not like holding on to him is detrimental at this point and i i or him over Grant, like i would keep him over Derek grant because at least he fills a spot a role that the ducks don't have in that sense where Derek grant like a while ago, they probably should have got rid of him. I think there's other players who can fill that role. I think, you know, I'd rather have a Sam Steele or Max Jones in the lineup over uh, a Derek Grant, but... It's not even that. I'd rather have Carter Rowney. Yeah. Carter Rowney's a good hockey player. I did not, yeah, I did not mind Carter Rowney. I mean, you can't re-sign him at the, when... It wouldn't have made sense for them to, to re-sign him just to bring him back to play with Grant Delorier. But if I had to choose, but, 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 it would have been Rowney. Right, yeah. exactly. That's... That's the thing, right? Because we do hear conversations about opportunity costs and about asset management, about all this crap that makes me want to, you know, gouge my eyes out. But that's the fact right there, is by bringing in Derek Grant, you make it harder and harder to keep a guy like Carter Rowney, who's actually the guy you keep pretending Derek Grant is. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, valuable so, player on the penalty kill. Yeah, if, if two of your four bottom line right because you figure that's a rotating spot you know D'Lo is in and out D'Lo is probably going to play 40 to 50 games but you can move guys around like if two of your bottom four is Delorier who's better than you think given that he's you know an enforcer and Carter Rowney you're not doing too bad you can play that line you know eight nine ten minutes a night and maybe you're all right um but having Grant out there, it just it drops it overall because he's not good enough to make anybody a little bit better. And Carter Rowney, at least, with his ability to forecheck, his ability to, you know, cut passing lanes and things like that, like he he was better at making a guy like Delorier much more playable on a nightly basis. One comment in the chat i want to get to is uh raquel scotty in the chat said bold prediction that grew is more valuable than deno within two years at their respective salaries i've it's bold but it's not like if i had to pick i hate player comps but if i had to pick a a suitable player comp for benoit levy grew i think it would be philip deno and like the career trajectory that philip deno has gone on where as he's gotten into his later 20s, he's, he's become a more kind of valuable and recognized player like he was for Montreal. Obviously, now he's in L.A. with the Kings. But I think, what, Deneau makes like $6 million for the Kings, I think it is? Uh, yeah, I think six, six and a half. So, you know, in two years, where, you know, Benoit Olivier Grew is the third-line center for this team um and is you know one of the better players on the penalty kill for them is contributing shorthanded is a guy who can put up 30 to 40 points if that's what he's doing in two years i i think that prediction is viable it's bold for sure because you're you're hoping that grew can continue on an upward trajectory after playing one game in the nhl but it's not out of the realm of possibility like that would be the closest player comp i would give for for grew is philip Deneau. So, 
here's the thing that's interesting about that because if you look at his last three years, we're kind of Deneau's best years or last three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he puts up 53 points in 81 games, 47 and 71, and then 24 and 53 last year. He, that's his 25 to 27 season. He's going to be 28 this year. And he has finished 7th, 6th, and 6th in Selkie voting the last three years. And I think a lot of people would say that he probably deserved to be closer to four. He probably, there are some years he should have been probably top three, but the name, he doesn't have the name. He probably had a shot. He should have probably had a shot at being, Mm -hmm. like if you told me last year the finalists were um, Couturier, Barkov, and Deneau, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, You know, like, you know, that's your boy. Like, do you, do you think Gru has just, selkie adjacent i'm not even saying like he's got to win it i'm just asking like do you think he's skilled enough to move forward on a trajectory to be a guy kind of in that conversation it's tough because i don't think he'll do enough offensively just like deneau doesn't consistently to be in that conversation which is ridiculous that we're talking about the selkie and having to be better offensively to be in that conversation but it's the way that award works uh, uh usually is it's the defensive centers that still contribute offensively it's like an all-around award almost rather than it being the best defensive center it's it's a most points by a penalty killer yeah, yeah essentially right <laughs> uh, you know and not to say kopitar and bergeron didn't deserve it for the times that they won it um and you know kessler being nominated like they those are guys that deserve to be in that Barkov Kuchuri as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I could see Gru in the mold of Deneau where at the highest peak of his ceiling, if he reaches it, a guy who gets those shouts from the analytics guys, right? Like gets into right. those seventh or eighth or you know, six, seven, eight kind of range of, of voting for the Selkie Award. I could see it. It it, it definitely within the highest range of his ceiling on what he could get to. He yeah, would have to fair. be a 30 to 40 point guy at least. Um, and then still be, you know, the Ducks top penalty killing forward. One of, one of, if not the best penalty killing forwards in the league, just like Deneau is to be in that conversation because to get up there, you know, you have to be so much better defensively to make up for the difference in offense between guys like Kachuri and Kopitar and Bergeron, right? Like, you have to be, you have to have something else that sets you apart. I, I definitely think he, he could get there, but it, it is a it is a long shot for him to to reach that potential. But he, he definitely has the size, he has the smarts on the defensive end. He's shown at every level that he can be a very, very good player on the penalty kill and a shorthanded threat. So he has everything, all the tools to get there, right? It's just how much is that Mm -hmm. development going to continue on an upward trajectory and where is he going to plateau before he gets to that that level we're talking about? Yeah. So, okay, I want to get your thoughts on on Zegris and kind of the night he had. So at what point, you know, I think it was like the – third or fourth time he tried something slick going across the blue line and, and, and let me just be very clear 
I love it. I love to see him going for that. I think that's exactly what you want from him. You want that swagger. You want that cockiness. You want him to be like, no, I see you, you know, 28-year-old, 500-game defenseman, and I'm going to make you look stupid right now. Like, that's the best. But, I, you know, I made a comment and on Twitter about, like, you know, Akins is going to walk up behind him and just kind of mention in his ear, like, simple. Like, just simplify it a little bit. And I don't think... You know, I don't think that that's a bad comment. I don't think that's an indictment of how he played. I think it is a reality of, you know, sometimes making simple plays allows you to kind of start to build up that confidence and that momentum, especially in a first game where your your nerves are going to be high. Um, but we saw Zegers make great passes. We saw him make um, lots of attempts at trying to create space and trying to create ice or uh, create space and create passing lanes with his stick and his vision. And what were your kind of big takeaways from Zegers tonight? Yeah, I, I think he flashed, oper- you know, fl- flashed brilliance throughout the night. Um, you know, didn't have the opportunities you would like for a player like that to really take control of the game. Only played 13, just over 13 minutes. The Ducks, I think, were shorthanded five times in the game. Uh, which took a lot of the air out of it for for Trevor Zegers to really get going, um, and and it was spread out right like it wasn't four penalties in the first period and then they had a, the full <laughs> yeah. forty minutes like there there were times where those penalties just kind of took the air out of the tires for them and he didn't really get out get out there and get going. I think new line mates for him as well. You know, yes, he played most of the preseason with Raquel, but I think it was only one game in preseason he played with that line with Raquel and Henrique, so that's going to take some time to gel. Um, I would have loved to see him with Comtois Terry um, from, to, to kind of see what they could do based off what they did at the end of last year. I think it, you know, depending on how things go for not only his line, but Getzlaff with Comtois and Terry and how that goes over the next couple of games here. We we could see them eventually pivot back to Azegra's Comtois Terry or, or just mix up the lines a little bit because outside of, you know, I think McTavish, Lindstrom, Silverberg was the Ducks' best line tonight. Uh, the fourth line is the fourth line. It's going to be the one, like you'd mentioned earlier, that kind of rotates the most of the kind of the spare guys who are, or, you know, the Jones, the Steele, Grant grew Deloria. Don't don't put Jones in there. That's not fair. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that, dude. He got sick. At least for for as long as I guess McTavish is up here. But um, yeah, like I think it was a good game, all things considered, from Zegers. But there's more to come, and you know that could be Friday, that could be later on in the season. But at some point, there's going to be a game where the stars align and everything kind of works out that he can just take over that game because he has that ability, and it it's not going to take long. You know, like I said, he showed flashes of that in this game. And once he has a little bit more runway to get going and build that momentum in the game, he'll get to the point where he's just almost unstoppable in some games. And we saw that near the end of last year. So I'm not worried about him at all. Um, I think once he can, you know, get 15, 16, 17 minutes of ice time a night, um, Mm -hmm. get some more power play time as well. Um, You know, yeah, the Ducks had three or four power plays in this game um and and they looked pretty good and he looked good on those power plays as well so he's going to get his reps and, and he's going to get in there so you know it's just another thing like i'm excited for friday i'm excited to see him yeah. again on friday like he again like even with him not being the headlining guy you ask anybody who they're most excited to see play on friday and trevor zegers is probably near the top of that list even with 
the performance from Mason McTavish tonight and how well Lundestrom played. Like, Zegers is always going to be at the top of the list of, of Ducks fans and who, which player they're most excited to, to see play. So I, I think, you know, there there's going to be a game, whether, like I said, it's Friday or in the next few games here where he breaks out and shows everybody, you know, why he's a frontrunner for the Calder this year. And, and it will likely be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, for me, that was the thing, right, is like, as much as I, you know, like I said, it was one of those things where you walk over and go, hey, you're in, you're in the right spot. Like, I get where you're at, but maybe just take that stuff down just a little bit, you know, get your confidence back, settle your nerves, do something, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Like, I, I think the fact that he was trying is huge. Um, you know, he he didn't look scared. He didn't look timid. He was aggressive. He was going at guys. Um, you know, we saw that even in, in the last preseason game where he, he he's going at guys. Like, he's taking the defense on. He is not trying to stay to the outside. He's he's not pulling up at the blue line. He's not dumping the puck in. Like, none of that. Like, he is puck on my stick. I know what I'm supposed to do. I have to make things happen. And I just think, think excuse me, to see him play with that confidence, even if the results aren't necessarily there, even if those plays are getting broken up, to see him just keep going again and again with that, you know, that, that tenacity, that aggressiveness is is awesome. Because like you said, there are going to be games where he's the best player on the ice for 60 minutes. Like, and it's just not close. He, he seems to very much have that skill level and that talent level and, and that kind of belief in himself um, where he can do that. And so just, you know, getting to watch him kind of work his way through that process this year is, is going to be really exciting because there's going to be games where you look bad and there's games where you're going to think he's the greatest player you've ever seen. And it's going to be a blast. Yeah, and, and it's the, you know, the, the process of getting that consistency where eventually he gets to that superstar level where almost on a nightly basis he takes over games. You know, that elite level when we're talking, you know, guys like McDavid and Drysaddle and McKinnon and Matthews where every night they almost they almost make something happen every night and it's surprising when they don't. Right, like he he has the potential to get to that level, and I think the most exciting thing about this season is just watching that development. Right, in in games and even tonight, like like we said, he wasn't great tonight, but he, it did he didn't let him, he didn't let it get him down. And every time you saw him, whether it was on the bench or whatever, the confidence is still there. He's, he's still talking to his teammates. He's still committed to making something happen out there. And that's what you love to see from a young player like that, especially such a skilled young player, is that you know, no matter how he's playing, no matter how the game is going, he's going to go at every shift and play like it's his last. And he's going to make something happen. He's going to try and create offense for himself and for his teammates, and, and that's what we expect from him. And you know, to, to put it plain and simple, as Jay Southern put in the chat, like Zegers is just exciting. And that that's what makes it so fun for us is any night mm-hmm. he could just pull off something crazy and just wow everybody, and, and that's why he himself almost makes the Ducks must see TV at this point. And we didn't even mention like the defense too. We have to get to them. Like Jamie Drysdale picked up a point mm-hmm. tonight. Uh, you know, very close to it being a goal for him, and how it always seems to be with him, which is not a bad trait for a defenseman. I'll I'll get to that you know right off the bat here. 
is his shots always seem to get tipped in and the goals get taken away from him. I think remember last year when his first NHL goal, we thought it got tipped by Jones, I think it was. But yeah. it ended up being his. And there was another goal of his that got tipped in, I think, by Henrique um, a few games later. And then obviously this one in, in the opening game tonight gets tipped in by Ricardo Kell. That's not a bad trait to have for a defenseman, to be able to you know, pinpoint your you know, forwards in front of the net and, and get it in areas where they can deflect it past the netminder. And Jimmy Drysdale just seems to be able to put his shots in the right areas for that to happen. And it's it's not a bad trade to have. And it's great to see him get on the board with a power play point in the first game of the season because we talked about it in our season preview if the Ducks' power play is going to get better. A lot of it, yeah, it does ride on Zegris and come to Terry in the forward group. But ultimately, somebody is going to be the quarterback from the blue line on on the power play, and it's going to be Jamie Drysdale. You hope it's going to be Jamie Drysdale. And I thought he looked calm, composed on the Ducks' power play. Obviously, the the key playmaker on, on Henrique's goal uh, in setting up the shot. So I thought it was a great game from him. I loved that Lindholm and Drysdale that pairing was put together. You know, we briefly talked about that because Pat gave us that question in, in our mailbag episode on, on if they could be dominant this year. You know, analytically they weren't great, but nobody was in this game. I, I just I, I thought <laughs> of the pairings, they looked the best, and it wasn't really close. I, I don't think Manson looked particularly great this game. He looked a little rusty. Fowler was okay. And, you know, Shattenkirk scored, and I thought Pat- Pattern and Shattenkirk was actually not that bad. You know, on paper, it's the worst pairing they had, but I thought it was actually pretty decent tonight. But Drysdale and, and Lindholm were just kind of at-, at another level, which is what you kind of expect. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, a couple things. First off, not a huge fan of the Pattern thing being in and all that kind of stuff. But that being said, I I, I would rather see Mahura, I would rather see Benoit get that spot. That being said, he played perfectly fine for a third-pairing guy tonight, right? Like, you can see him coming in playing, you know, 12, 13 minutes a night for 60 games and that just being what it is. It's not probably the best, you know, unless there is a trade, there is probably not... Uh, it's probably not a great sign if he's playing 50, 60 games. But that being said, what he had, what he showed tonight, was that he can do the thing they're going to ask him, which is to be a defense-first physical presence on the blue line in the penalty kill and at 505. He looked fine. Um, Manson didn't look great. I, you know, that sucks. Uh, I'm going to move past that. Uh, Shattenkirk had the goal. I thought Shattenkirk actually looked pretty decent tonight. You know, he got involved when, uh, what's his name, took the hit on McTavish. And, you know, he he looked like a leader tonight. It was nice to see. And He's, man, he's a lot better as a, Shattenkirk's a lot better as a third option on the right side. It doesn't feel like that, like where he's not relied upon as much. Where Jamie Drysdale is come kind of coming in. It's funny to say like a nineteen-year-old defenseman is coming taking the pressure off Shattenkirk, but it, he has like J- Drysdale's coming in taking the pressure off Shattenkirk to be the main guy to be the offensive power play threat that they brought Shattenkirk actually in to be. Nobody expected Drysdale to be this good this quickly, where it almost gives Shattenkirk the freedom to have a little bit less responsibility and kind of just play his game. And I think he did that in this game. Whether that you know spans across the entire season, we'll see. 
Uh, and, and we don't even know if he's going to be with Pattern for the rest of the year because Mahura was also a healthy scratch tonight, so that could be another guy who checks in. But I, I think it will do well for Shattenkirk to not have that responsibility and not be that guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen from him, right? Like, he's always been at his best when he didn't need to be the guy. You know, he went, he was in St. Louis. He was really good. Well, he played behind Alex Petrangelo. So, you know, he, Alex Petrangelo is your starting number one right D, especially at 25 years old. Like, that's not – there's no question about that. You know, he moves to uh, Washington. He doesn't have a ton of success there. Fine, whatever. Well, then he goes up to New York, and in New York it's like, oh, he's the guy. He's our big – you know, he's our one, and he's going to help fix us and blah, blah, blah. Stanley Cups, here we come. And it's no, not at all. He fizzles like it just doesn't work for him. And they're asking him too much. They're putting him into they're, – they're, they're overusing him. They're overexposing him. He goes back down to uh, Tampa Bay, and he looks really good because of all the guys ahead of him. And that's yeah. not a knock on him. It's about it's about fit. It's about you know utilization. I mean, shit, that's, that's where coaching comes in, right? That's where the coaching and the roster management comes in, which is you, you need to get guys to fit certain spots. And you need the coach to put those players in those spots within a context to succeed. And then at that point, it becomes about the players doing well. Last year, they asked too much of him. Understandably so. I, I get what the idea was. It was a pipe dream. It was never going to happen. But I get it. This year, he moves down the lineup. And he looks pretty good tonight. Um, and it's because there's guys ahead of him that just make more sense being higher up the roster, being asked to do more. Now, if Josh Manson can't figure this shit out, you know, he might be a top four defenseman. Uh, you know, it just is what it is. But, you know, I thought Fowler looked really good tonight at a couple of spots. I thought he looked engaged. He, you know, th there was a couple of times on the penalty kill where I was a little less than happy with his I, I guess I'll say his conservatism as far as pressing guys coming up from the corners and into the uh, into the crease. You know, there was that one where the guy just took it right into the front. Yeah. And that's you can't have that. Um, you know, but but he 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 looked a lot closer to the guy that you want him to be using his skating to break up plays, using his skating to move the puck, making good passes, getting the puck going from defense to offense quickly. Uh, there was some stuff that he did tonight that I thought was was encouraging. But Hampus Lindholm and Jamie Driesdale are the two best defensemen on this team. Yeah. Like, what are we even fucking talking about, man? Like, everything's you know, a non-factor after them. And and like like we said, Fowler looked pretty good. Shattenkirk looked pretty good. Pattern did kind of what you expect from him. Manson was kind of the lone, you know, dull spot on the blue line. Just it's not that he looked awful. He just didn't look as great or as good as the other guys out there. And just, you know, I forget who made the comment on Twitter, but somebody said he looked rusty. I think that, that kind of sums it up there, right? He just didn't look like he was mm -hmm. fully 100% ready to go. And it's got time. It's one game. You know, we uh, any of the good performances, just like the bad performance, preface all of them with, yeah, it's mm -hmm. one game in the season so far, and there's 81 more games to go, and there's plenty of time for guys to cool down or guys to get better and heat up and... Uh, Manson's just as much a part of that as anybody else, and it's a big year for him. 
you know, we talked about Sam Steele being a big year. It's a big year for Manson. It's a big year for Raquel. Both of them are pending unrestricted free agents, and their future is up in the air, whether they're with Anaheim or with somebody else, you know, come trade deadline or the end of the year. So he has plenty of time and, and plenty of motivation to get back to his best and and be the player that we expect from him. I just I just don't know if that's going to be with Cam Fowler because the history states that Fowler Manson as a pairing just doesn't work. I wouldn't split up Drysdale and Lindholm at this point. Um, nope. So you know, is it Manson Shattenkirk? Probably not. So there, there's not a lot of options for him and where he could slot in. Yeah, I I think that you know you, you talked about breaking up Campus and Jamie and why this is not going to be what it is, and I, I think the thing that's fun about that pair specifically is like it passes every level of the test, right? Like in your head when you think about what a top pairing defense, a top defensive pair looks like, you go, ooh, you you probably want one good guy who's a little bit more defense than offense and really strong two way game, but he could skate and pass and all this shit. And then you want to have a guy who can really make the offense pop and really be aggressive and really get into it. And like you look and you're like, well, yeah, there's this six foot three, super smart, super defensively talented guy. Uh, and then, you know, what Jamie Dreesdale is like, what, six foot, six foot one, tiny little dude who just skates around all the time and just makes stuff happen on offense. And you're like, okay, cool. Now let's try it out. And you put it on the ice and like you can see that it works, right? Like, there's going to be lapses because it's the first game. There's going to be lapses because they haven't spent a bunch of time playing together. There's going to be lapses because one of them is 19 years old. Yeah. Like, all of these things are true. But you can see the way in which these two players can form an incredibly cohesive top pair and an effective and dynamic top pair. And I, I think we talked about this a little bit. With... Dreesdale's skating, he is going to allow Lindholm to get more involved offensively. They mentioned it tonight on the broadcast for the Ducks that Lindholm has been shooting more. I personally think it's interesting and not at all related that he's a a UFA at the end of the season. I don't think those two things are related, but I thought it was odd, so I'd mention it. Um, But, you know... He's got talent, and if the forwards in front of him can do a little bit more offensively, it's going to create space for him to get more engaged. It's going to create space for him to maybe kind of improve that offensive part of his uh, that offensive part of his game that has statistically not really been there all the time. Yeah, I, I think I think he is due for a better season. You know, not just offensively, but all around, especially if he's with Jamie Drysdale for most of the year. I, I hope that they can stick together for the majority of the season. I think it'll be good for both of them. I hope they can stick together for the next six years. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's a. It, 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 we talked about this already, and, and if you want to hear a yeah. full kind of breakdown on this, um, you know, I think of all the players that the Ducks have uh, are pending your phase coming up. I think the one player they should look at bringing back, if anybody, would be Hampus Lindholm. And a lot of that hinges on how that pairing looks this year with Jamie Drysdale and, and how they can kind of you know generate some chemistry going forward. Because I think Hampus Lindholm is young enough that um, you know a potential future pairing of Lindholm and Drysdale can be a competitive one for the Ducks when they are back into the playoff hunt and, and black, back into contender status. I, I think, you know, Lindholm 
will still be a good player for the Ducks and a player who can contribute and be a good mentor for Jamie Drysdale and, and to kind of usher in the next wave of young Ducks defensemen that they have coming up in the pipeline. And so I, I, I think he would be the one guy um, that I would keep around. Um, all right, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Was there anything you wanted to touch on before we we wrapped up here? Uh, hmm. I think we we, we got think, most of it. Yeah, we got to pretty much everything. Um, you know, I it was cool tonight that Bowen Byram and uh, Hendricks Lapierre uh, both had their first career goals. Uh, Lapierre and McTavish obviously both got their first goals in their first game, which was really cool. McTavish on his uh, first I shot. I know me and you have. <clears throat> yeah, and I know me and you have talked about Lapierre a lot or before, and how how much it, it did kind of suck for him that he was this guy who going into his draft year looked to be a, a top 10 guy, but he had concussion issues and there were, there were questions about his, his ability to stay healthy, um, you know, kind of like Krebs the year before. And so to see him play well is nice. And especially for a team like Washington, where they really just don't have any real young players to get excited about, you know, having a guy like LaPierre who can step into the lineup and and just be a, a young player to provide a little bit of dynamism, a little bit of energy, a little bit of skating uh, to a team that, from a roster perspective, could go stale just given how long everybody's been around. Yeah. Um, you know, and on top of that, I think Alex Ovechkin had two goals tonight. So, you know, I think he jumped ahead of, like you said earlier, Marcel Dion on the list and – Four you points know, for him too. That's gonna be a blast, man. Like it's gonna be so much fun to watch uh, Ovechkin just spend the next couple of years chasing uh, chasing Gretzky's record. You know, I you know with the league on ESPN in the states um, and TNT down here, like there, there's there's a lot to be excited about right now as far as you know, the number of young players in this league that, that are just dynamic from the jump, it feels like. Um, and, you know, just the opportunity to get to watch more games on on national television, I think is going to be a lot of fun. So it's a good time to be a hockey fan. And it's the first game, so it always feels that way. But, you know, it, it's a good time. All right. Well, to wrap up, we have a another show that we're releasing i think we're going to release it friday to coincide with the ducks game um so steven and i sat down with robin from uh is it jewels of the crown jewels from the crown and alex from cbj cannon and did a blind draft for the awards it was a ton of fun steven put together um basically 15 players for the Hart, Norris, and Vesna trophy. Uh, and it was just four obscure stats uh, about each player without any of their names. And we just kind of had to draft them based off uh, off those stats. I did pretty well, so I'll, I'll take some credit for that. I, I, did, I did decent. But some of the teams that... Uh, that came together were fairly interesting. Some of the picks were, were pretty funny about some of the guys that uh, that were on there. I don't want to spoil too much because it was a lot of fun recording that one. Uh, but I think we're going to release that one uh, on Friday, kind of earlier in the day before the Ducks game, so you guys can listen to that one uh, and, and get some content before that game. Uh, we won't be doing a post-game show for Friday, so anybody who didn't see our, our post uh, on Twitter uh, and, and or, or just kind of hear our, our description 
that Stephen and I went through on the uh, the mailbag episode. Uh, for this year, we are moving away from post game shows uh, on a nightly basis or on a game game by game basis uh, to a more of a, a weekly structure. So we'll have a show every weekend, whether it be Saturday or Sunday. Um, throughout the season, just kind of breaking down what has happened throughout the week. And then occasionally, like tonight, uh, we'll have a few post-game shows throughout the season for big moments. So tonight was opening night, so we wanted to get out here uh, and see you guys all again and, and kind of you know explain what's going on with the show moving forward. And, and then I would say probably about maybe two, three at most a month that we would uh, aim to do a, a post-game show. Uh, but we just don't want to, to commit to anything just because we know how scheduling went last year and, and how tough it was to hit, you know, 75 to 80 games uh, a season. You know, last year we were lucky we had the shortened season, but with all those games kind of sandwiched together, it was hard. So we just want to make sure we get kind of the best show for you guys, make sure we can get, you know, obviously Pat and Jay who aren't here tonight on, on a regular basis as well because they're just as part of the show uh, as we are. So we want them on as much as we can. So I think a weekly show... Um, kind of does that uh, and, and hits everything that we're trying to do. So we will be live again on Sunday, I believe. Sunday afternoon is what we're aiming for. That's afternoon Pacific time uh, with kind of our weekly breakdown. So Pat and Jay, I think, are both available for that one. So it'll be all four of us on that show, uh, which will be a lot of fun. And then uh, we'll kind of keep you guys updated moving forward on when the next few post game shows are going to be but every show will be live on twitch so even on the weekly shows you'll be able to join us everything seemed to go well with the stream which was a nice uh, a nice change tonight so we'll be uh we'll be live on all those shows as well and we'll make sure to update you guys on, on everything that's going on yeah um you know I, I two other things just to throw on there uh is I know me and Eddie had talked about it, and uh, just to pimp ourselves a little bit, Eddie, uh, I believe, is looking forward to being able to get back to doing some uh, uh, prospect revalu- uh, prospect recaps and just kind of see where people are. So hopefully that's the thing we put together for you guys on the website. Um, and then I have Substack, and I'll be putting out all sorts of dumb crap on that and find it through our Twitter. But, you know, more than anything, join the Patreon, follow us on Twitter, talk to us. We, you know, we love to talk with everybody. We love making fun and having a good time and going back and forth about the same three jokes all over. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. We, we really do try to do as much fun as we can. I got to have as much fun as we can with doing this because otherwise, what the hell are any of us here for? Um, and we're really excited about the season ahead and we are... Uh, optimistic that the format that we switch to is going to be the best experience for you guys, best experience for us, and you know, give us a little bit of flexibility during the week to do some fun stuff as well. Uh, so you know, yeah, that's that'll wrap it up for the uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of content coming, yeah, like, like Steven said. Um, I, I did forget about that, so good mentioning it. The I am working on a prospect update because most of the Ducks prospects are back playing now. Um, so you know, guys like Sasha Pistuyov has had a good start. To in Guelph, Sam Colangelo got his first NCAA goal. So, uh, similar to the articles I put out last year at the, the Hockey Writer, just kind of a a monthly or, or weekly update on um, on the Ducks prospects that will be going out on on our website on ForeverMighty.com. Um, so look for that to come hopefully by the end of this week. 
and then as Steven said, yeah, our, our Patreon, we are <laughs> we are making sure we hit content on that this year. For anybody that already is a, a Patreon subscriber, they they know the the struggles that we've had and on getting consistent shows out there. But we have revamped our scheduling going along with the weekly shows, which means we can uh, we can actually focus on the Patreon a little bit more and get some content on there. So we've got uh, a Pucks and Brews planned for this month as well, as well as a few other bonus shows that uh, that are going to go out in the Patreon. So if you do want to subscribe there, we do have a, a lot of fun bonus shows that go out on it. Uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash forevermighty. But Appreciate you guys all joining us tonight. It was a lot of fun getting back out and interacting with everybody. The chat was lively tonight, which is always fun to see. Uh, so, you know, excited to be back for the beginning of another Duck season. Great to, to kind of speak to everybody in the chat and for everybody listening at home as well. Uh, you know, great to interact with you guys again at the beginning of the season. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again on Sunday. Take care, everybody. Later, boys.